You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Welcome to another Economy Matters podcast. I'm Charles Davidson, a staff writer with Economy Matters, and today we're visiting with Will Lamb. Will is a senior advisor in the Atlanta Fed's Community and Economic Development Department, and Will's specialty is community development finance. Will, thanks for joining us today. Sure thing, Charles. Yeah, so we're going to talk about community development generally and then focus a little on some of the work that Will and uh, the rest of the Community and Economic Development Department do regarding smaller metro areas. But, Will, to sort of set the stage here, why does the Atlanta Fed care about community and economic development? We have to hearken back to our roots to answer that question. Our department, our function within the Federal Reserve System comes from the Community Reinvestment Act of 1977, I believe, which compels regulated banks to reinvest or lend into communities from which they take deposits irrespective of economic means of the community. So we really have evolved over the decades since here in Atlanta to have four sort of main thrusts of work, one of which is in the area of community development finance, another in workforce development and labor markets, another in small business and entrepreneurship, and finally in housing and neighborhood stabilization. So we have team members who uh, work in all of those areas and cover the southeast where we know many of the issues of persistent poverty are uh, prevailing, and uh, and so we, we stay busy. Well, Will, now, as I mentioned earlier, you do a lot of work looking at smaller metro areas. Mm-hmm. So first off, how do we define a smaller metro area? What does that mean exactly? Yeah, so the, the definition of a smaller city, we just refer to them as smaller cities, but they are by definition, metro areas. We define them as any place that's within a metropolitan statistical area with less than half a million people. There's no science to this so much as data that's out there from the Census Bureau and other sources tends to be aggregated at different levels. And Uh, This is just a level at which we could access the type of data that we wanted to do the sort of analysis we wanted to do. But smaller cities, you know, sort of intuitively are those places that have 100,000 to 250,000 people living in them and tend to be sort of of the perception that they're overlooked when it comes to sort of larger scale economic development and community development investments. So it's a little bit of science, but mostly art to defining the smaller cities. But in in the case of our research, it's those metro areas of less than half a million. And, I, and if I'm not mistaken, our region, the 6th District, 6th mm-hmm. Federal Reserve District, has a has a large number of those places, Oh, yeah, places, we do, right. right. I think of, of all of the Federal Reserve Bank districts, I think we have the most smaller cities as we've defined them and and also the highest percentage of the overall population living in smaller metros. So as we know in the South, we're really, you know, separate and apart from from Atlanta and Charlotte and, and New Orleans and Miami and some, you know, the small number of larger 
cities that that make up our district, make up our region, really. Uh, We're really a region of smaller cities. We felt like it was important and continue to believe it's important that we have a body of work that accounts for, you know, in this case, where 25% of the, the people in our district live. And so that's really what this is aimed at. And so was that part of the genesis of the uh, small city economic dynamism index, bit of a mouthful, but uh, that's a really cool database and tool that you guys ha- have built over time. So can you talk a little bit about what that is and sort of how it came about? The, the dynamism index is collection of metrics that we've pulled together, including economics, demographics, infrastructure, and human capital variables which we've combined into an index, which is really just a way to give us a sense and to give policymakers and and outside investors a sense of the sort of overall trajectory of a small city market. Where is it heading? Is it heading up or down in an objective sense? And to give practitioners or you know local officials at this at the metro level, at the city level, or the county level the ability to compare themselves to what they might define as their peers. So the index itself uh, includes a mapping tool, which people can access on our website, which you can hover over any particular metro area and see how that place stacks up against um, other small cities. And then it also includes an interactive sort of data table where you can select uh, up to any number of small cities and compare them across these index measures. Well, in building that, well, what did you guys learn? Are there what, what are some of the things that stand out as far as what makes a smaller city really hum economically and maybe what what doesn't right. work as well. Right. So the index, the creation of the index itself wasn't wasn't structured as a research inquiry ab- around what works in smaller cities so much as a sort of snapshot in time of where that particular market is trending. That being said, you know, we can look at the cities that are greener in our data set, indicating more positive momentum and those that are redder indicating less positive momentum and make some sort of observations about the kind of underlying fundamentals in those places. So smaller cities that have either colleges or universities tend to do better in terms of our index scores. Uh, Smaller cities that have significant defense or uh, military presence also tend to have a positive trajectory. And then finally, those that have some significant element of extractive industry, which we've obviously seen much of in our district along the Gulf and elsewhere, tend to have an an upward trajectory. So those are just some of the underlying economic assets that jumped out at us when we started to think about what might be under underneath the data. What about places that don't have those kind of assets? Mm-hmm. What's what's kind of the path ahead for, for those sort of places? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really sort of one of the $6 million questions, right? We've got a landscape across our entire country of of places, cities, and towns, many which served an economic sort of purpose uh, 100 years ago or 50 years ago as the mill town or the railroad town or the market town for a particular agricultural region. And now, you know, those economies 
may not be viable in the in, in an objective sense, right, uh, anymore. So what do we do about those places that have been passed by? Well, that's certainly not for me to judge. In my experience, I've seen places that you would otherwise think have been passed by by the economy bounce back, you know. Uh, and I've seen places where you look at their assets and you raise the question, how can they not be thriving where they continue to struggle? So what it sort of all tends to boil down to, which is in some ways unfortunate, but also within the control of the local leadership is exactly that, is the leadership of the place and its ability to sort of put together a vision and a strategy to do something productive and and useful for uh, the citizens of the community. And what doesn't seem to be sort of correlated with that necessarily is size or positioning in the economy. It really is just a, a matter of um, of that local leadership's ability to craft a vision and do something productive. Yeah. And I guess leadership would be really crucial as we see um, the Southeast, like the rest of the country, and I suppose the world undergoing some really fundamental economic and demographic transitions. Some of them are really slow moving. Others are a little more rapid. Uh, you mentioned earlier old mill towns. I mean, it's pretty startling when you look at some of the data on things like textile mills, sawmills, which used to be pretty big mm-hmm. uh, sources of jobs in our region that have really, really essentially gone away in the last 15, 20 years. But in other things like communities that are becoming maybe majority minority, how does the research that you guys have done shed light on on these sorts of uh, phenomena? Here's the way I think about it. Our work, which really is just a, a sort of drop in the bucket compared to analysis and, and, and research that's done at universities and some of the think tanks, is really aimed at two things. First of all, recognizing that a lot of, not all of, but a lot of the smaller cities in our region are going to continue to grow and develop. As you suggested, the demographic transition in our region takes shape. The jobs and employment opportunities in these second-tier markets are going to attract people. They'll continue to grow. Housing will get built. You know, investments will be made. The size of the pie will continue to increase, not in all places, but in many places. And what we also know to be true is that unless there's some really proactive leadership and local decision-making around the distribution of those resources being made more equitable across communities, then uh, the size of the pie may grow, but the opportunities for everybody in the community to benefit from that growth may be limited. And so the conversations we're trying to have in these smaller cities as we take this data on the road is about how we take advantage of the existing momentum in communities, the growth and development in communities to ensure that opportunities for everybody to benefit from that growth are manifest in smaller cities. So we're spending a lot of time now out on the road in the district uh, in places like Huntsville, Alabama and Gainesville, Florida and Savannah, Georgia, having conversations with local leadership about the positive growth and development that they're experiencing and their strategies, whether it's in this housing space, in the small business finance space, in uh, any other number of community development realms, how they're putting together strategies to ensure that everybody benefits from that growth. 
So well, what, do you, what do you get out of those kind of visits that you don't get out of parsing the data and drilling mm-hmm. into numbers and statistics? Right. Well, you get the real world. I mean, th- that's the that's the aspect to our work in community and economic development here at the Fed that's most, I think, valuable. Um, we can, and our colleagues in the in the Rain program and otherwise, we really spend time in communities, talking to business leaders, talking to local officials, talking to you know civic leaders generally about what's happening because. That level of sort of nuance that you can get by actually sort of driving down Main Street and having coffee at the coffee shop is unlike any that you're likely to get through even the sort of most nuanced data. So that's that's really what this is about. Yeah, yeah. Well, well thanks so much for your time. It's been interesting. Thank you, Charles. And thank you for listening. Please return next month for another Economy Matters podcast. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.